Everybody and welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 242. And tonight we get to one of my favorite passages in this whole chapter. Uh, and one of the ones I have most been looking forward to discussing with you guys. Uh, so very excited about that. But first, I want to talk about uh, something that I am also very excited about. And that is, it is time this year for our annual Signum University fundraising campaign. Uh, so normally, of course, we do our fundraising campaign uh, in the er earlier in the fall. Normally, we begin it on Bilbo's birthday and go through the middle of October. But this year, uh, we decided to delay it. <laughs> <laughs> the end of September, beginning of October was really chaotic already. Uh, and I didn't want to be uh, sort of thinking about all of those things at the same time. Um, I thought maybe it would be more fun to do the fundraising campaign at a time when I could breathe. Uh, so we're, do we're doing it now instead. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this. So it's going to be in November. Um, we, uh, the the campaign ending webathon, which is a tradition. So our annual tradition of our of, of our campaign ending webathon will be on Saturday the 19th of November. So that's the weekend before, the Saturday before Thanksgiving for Americans. And um, uh, and so on that day, I'm going to be doing the State of the University address. And so I'll be giving some big updates on what's going on at Signum, what we have planned, what we're looking forward to in this coming year. Um, we have some accreditation news and all kinds of fun things that I'll be talking about, uh, as well as, as always, sharing a little bit more about the vision for Signum University, how we have been growing, how I see us continuing to grow, the kinds of opportunities that have arisen and adventures that we have found ourselves on uh, over this uh, over this past year. Yes, there is going to be a Lotro event. Also, traditionally, um, I do my um, uh, I do my um, my annual Lotro Marathon. Um, that's going to be on the 12th of November. So not this Saturday, but next Saturday, I will do my traditional Lotro Marathon. Um, and uh, that will, I always, always look forward to that. Um, so the theme this year is empowering sub-creation, cultivating connection. Um, so this is really uh, the the focal point of our campaign this year is on the new initiatives that we have undertaken principally in the Signum University Press and in our new Signum Studios as well. Um, the actual encouragement, you know, we've done a lot of studying, you know, we've had a lot of educational opportunities at Signum University, of course. Um, the sort of the last step that we have taken here is in, as you say, in the in the title there, uh, empowering sub-creation. Um, which I think is a really important level, but it's not just, but of course we're doing this. We're not only adding a, you know, this sort of content creation element, right? Um, because it's not just about content creation. It's not just about, you know, creating. I mean, it is about, you know, sub creation. It is about uh, making 
really cool works, whether works of original fiction and poetry or um, whether uh, uh, books, you know, discussing that, like my uh, upcoming Exploring the Lord of the Rings book, or whether we're uh, looking at um, other uh, video and audio content that we're creating through the studio. There's a lot of stuff going on. And of course, as we go through, and especially in the final webathon, I'll give you a lot. We'll give you a lot more information. You'll see much more about what's coming up uh, in the coming months uh, and over the course of the coming year from both the Signum University Press and the and Signum Studios. But, um, but it's not just that we're going to be also producing original content now. Uh, it's also about the way in which we are really doing that through our mission, which has been a core part of the Signum mission from the very beginning, about cultivating connection, um, about making sure that we are building community uh, online. This has been something that's been very important. Again, it's, just, it's, been, it's been a core element uh, of the Signum mission from the very beginning. Um, the internet was always very good as a means for distributing content. Um, but from the beginning, Signum was founded on the notion, on the recognition that the internet could be used for more than just distributing content. It could be used as a way of distributing content and connecting people um, around and through that content and building community. Uh, so. Anyway, so that's what we're kind of celebrating and talking about in our fundraising campaign this year. Plus, of course, wanting to celebrate um, our other wonderful programs, our uh, our clubs program, our MA program, uh, you know, so our graduate programs, our um, uh, our space program, which is just fantastic. Uh, so there has been uh, there has been some some phenomenal developments over the course of this year that, again, I can't wait to share more uh, with you about that. Um, so anyway, so this is what's going on in our fundraising campaign. I'm going to do a little, uh, we're going to do as is traditional. We're going to do some giveaways. We're going to do those a little differently this year. I want to do giveaways to folks who are here with us. Um, so for those of you who are in Discord, I'm going to do a little drawing. I'm going to, I, I have my dice ready. I'm going to roll my dice uh, and we will, um, I, I seem to have, my son seems to have borrowed my dice tower, which is not a shock. So, <laughs> so my dice tower, I think is upstairs. I'll have to roll my dice the old fashioned way. Uh, but um, uh, anyway, so we'll do a little uh, drawing and the drawing that we're going to do um, is we're going to do a drawing. I, I will be giving away a, uh, a ticket, a free ticket uh, for a remote attendance at one of at, at the regional moot of your choice over the course uh, of these, you know, of these next 12 months. Um, and of course, I'm thinking about that. That is in my mind this week because we are having our last regional moot of the fall season this very week. SoCal moot is happening this coming Saturday, November 5th. Um, and uh, so we're going to be in Carlsbad, California. Um, uh, Praise, who is one of our regulars, is going to be uh, is going to be our host there. Uh, really looking forward to uh, getting to hang out with folks there. Uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a great time. I've, I I love watching the registrations as they come in. It's a great list of people. Uh, so looking forward to hanging out with folks down there in Carlsbad this coming uh, this coming year. Um, so anyway, so that is. That is what is going to happen here uh, uh, this coming weekend. So uh, for the person who wins our drawing, um, we're going to um, uh, 
yeah, we're going to, um, we're going to, you could, you could, you could get remote access to this very moot in a couple days if you wanted to. You could redeem it instantly. Um, so uh, anyway, all right. Um, oh, hey, yes, you did. Miss Ray, welcome. You got here for your first, uh, your first whole session on a great day. Yes, you did. Miss Ray, welcome. Welcome. Okay. All right. So, um, so I'm going to do, I'm going to do a drawing. And by the way, we're going to do another uh, Lotro-oriented giveaway. Um, I've got some really cool Lotro stuff to give away also, uh, and I'm going to be doing that during our field trip uh, at the end of our book discussion. So, um, okay. That's it. You've made, <laughs> you made it before the dice were rolled, Miss Crystal. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so here we go. I'm rolling, I'm rolling my dice, and then I'm going to have to do counting. Okay. No, not counting on the dice, like I can see without counting uh, or adding it up in my head what the dice say. Uh, it's it's on the list that I need to, because I don't have an automatic feature for this. Okay, and our winner is an old faithful, uh, I think one of our OG attendees uh, from uh, for Exploring the Lord of the Rings, uh, Trifle, Trifle Sauron Fancies, you are our winner here this evening. Send an email uh, to info at signumu.org and we will arrange getting your prize to you. Congratulations, Trifle. Um, uh, there you go. So uh, we're going to do another drawing uh, and giveaway, as I say, at the end, after when we start our, uh, uh, our field trip at the end of our discussion here today. Um, so stay tuned for, uh, for more stuff. And I hope, of course, that you will consider giving, giving to support Signum University. Um, we rely a great deal on donations, of course. As you guys know, or as you probably know, uh, you know, we have set out from the beginning to make sure that all of the, the services that we offer, all the educational services that we offer at various levels are all as affordable as we can possibly make them. Um, and so that, you know, means it sort of limits our margins. Uh, and so it is absolutely essential. We could never possibly make ends meet uh, without our donations. Um, so it's, you know, the, the, the ways in which you guys have throughout this past year, I'm going to be talking about, I'm going to show you some numbers which are really eye-popping um, in the State of the University address in a couple of weeks when I do that um, to show you giving this past year was just so amazing and has really really catapulted our growth uh, into this year because that that's what you guys have enabled us to do. Not only do you enable us to keep our prices low and to make ends meet, uh, but you've been enabling us to really grow and move forward in some, uh, in some really, really powerful ways. Um, so uh, again, more information on that to come, but it's been really exciting. So um, if you if you have a chance, you can give a one-time donation to Signum University. You can uh, start a monthly subscription uh, to Signum University. We have a number of donor perks available. So if you go to our uh, signumuniversity.org support site, uh, you can learn more about uh, all of the, the ways in which we like to say thank you uh, to our donors. Um, uh, so we have all that stuff uh, available there. Many ways in which we try to say thank you uh, to the folks who uh, who do so much to support us, um, and of course all of our donations are fully tax deductible as well. So that's 
another really cool and exciting thing. Um, so you can be helping yourself too while supporting a really, really good cause uh, in helping Signum to continue. So uh, anyway, so many thanks to everybody. Um, those of you, of course, who have ongoing monthly subscriptions, um, those monthly subscriptions will continue, of course, to be, you'll, you'll be sort of credited, you know, your giving level, as far as the donor perks and things are concerned, will be credited to you, you know, based on your, your monthly giving. Um, though, of course, if you wanted to consider increasing, now's a great time during the campaign to, uh, to do that. Um, but anyway, we will, uh, we are, as I say, so grateful for all of your support. Uh, thanks for that. Now, let us get back to the text. So, um, we've just had, uh, we were talking yesterday about the decisions that we were making, that we were seeing them making, and in particular, the way in which they, that is Aragorn and Gandalf, seemed to be sacrificing security for the sake of speed. Um, whether that's due to uncertainty as to whether or not they had been spotted by any of the crows, um, any of the uh, genocide of crows. Because uh, again, remember, I don't think that Saruman actually has an extinction of crows. Um, I think he only has a genocide of crows. Um, did I say yesterday? I do, I've always done that. My entire career, Matt, I've always done that. Um, I started doing it, you know, when teaching like Monday, Wednesday, Friday courses uh, on campus. And I, I would always say yesterday and my students would laugh at me like when I'm when 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 we're here. Right. When when I'm when I'm when I'm teaching, when we're doing our discussions like this is the world of the class. Right. So um, I'll say yesterday, even if it was like three weeks ago when we when we last when we last met. Um, but um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um <laughs> Academic yesterday, exactly. Well, and and the the irony is, of course, for some people who, uh, for folks who are uh, who are binging in order to catch up, it may, it may be it may be yesterday, it may be sooner than yesterday. So who knows? Um, but yes. Yeah, so whenever I say yesterday, I always mean in the last session. Anyway, um, so we saw that we saw that yesterday, um, and um, here this. And it's to me, this is sort of the payoff uh, of that whole section and, and again begins to see things kind of possibly, potentially come to crisis. So, OK, here we go. It was the it was the cold, chill hour before the first stir of dawn and the moon was low. Frodo looked up at the sky. Suddenly he saw or felt a shadow pass over the high stars as if for a moment they faded and then flashed out again. He shivered. Did you see anything pass over? He whispered to Gandalf, who was just ahead. No, but I felt it, whatever it was, he answered. It may be nothing, only a wisp of thin cloud. It was moving fast then, muttered Aragorn, and not with the wind. Okay. Um, I was always really disappointed when the wisp of thin cloud line was given, as I recall, to Gimli in the movie, just when they're looking at the crows, at the crabine, you know, coming in their direction. And he, like, briefly mistakes it for a wisp of thin cloud. Um, and uh, I get disappointed because this scene is so much... Having just gotten a really pretty creepy scene, right, with the genocide of crows and, you know, just watching the mass... You know, the, the way in which our imagination is, um, you know, drawn to, to, to picture this truly massive flock of birds and then the eeriness of seeing them behave in this uh, really unnaturally 
and terrifyingly methodical way uh, as they're searching. And then that that chilling silence with which they're all flapping overhead, silence except for the noise of their wings and the single cry. Um, but now, right, now we get something else which is more ominous and more mysterious, right? Um, first, big question. I'll just start with the big question. What do we think is happening here? Yeah, this is very seasonal, isn't it? Yes, it's the day after Halloween. Um, uh, so what do we think? I mean, on the one hand, I, I don't know that there can be very many candidates. Can there? I mean, so I have to assume that there is something, right? I mean, so like, so observation number one, do I think something is there or do I think something's not there, right? Gandalf seems to want Frodo, at least, to believe uh, that uh, that there's nothing there. It may be nothing, only a wisp of thin cloud. Very, very, very possible. Um, but I... I... Um, not only do I not believe that, um, as I don't think it would have affected Frodo in this way, had it been a wisp of cloud. Um, I mean, would you feel a wisp of thin cloud passing over the high stars? Right, He saw or felt a shadow pass over the high stars. Um, I don't think a thin wisp, a wisp of thin cloud is going to make you shiver in that way. Um, and Gandalf himself seems to acknowledge it, right? Um, did you see anything? No, but I felt it, whatever it was. The it may be nothing, only a wisp of thin cloud feels really weak. Uh, and Gandalf has been doing this. That is... Gandalf has kind of been in the business. We've seen him be in the business uh, for several pages now of just like trying to cheer folks up, right? Of, uh, uh, of kind of urging people to think positively. Um, and we've seen him be resisted at several points. He was resisted by Sam just recently, right? Too warm, I shouldn't wonder, remember? Um, was Sam kind of, um, as I say, sort of resisting uh, Gandalf's um, well, like the cheerful thing is, it will get warmer as we go south, right? Um, and we've seen, of course, Aragorn has been uh, putting a damper on things at a number of points and does so again here. Um, it's, a, it's a slightly strange thing to me. I mean, I do agree, Dennis, uh, on YouTube that um, I do think that he's trying to minimize the burden on the ring bearer. I agree. Uh, he does seem to be, I think there's, there's, there's some clear evidence that Gandalf is being, well, vigilant, um, in trying to keep Frodo's spirits up. Um, he seems concerned that Frodo is going to, uh, you know, just that his spirits are going to drop. He's going to become despondent. He's going to become despairing. Um, these are very real dangers for Frodo and really kind of the chiefest dangers that, I mean, yeah, he's going to be in danger of his life now and certainly later on. Um, 
but I think it's pretty clear from Gandalf's perspective that the, the mere physical danger to Frodo, um, the danger of that someone's going to find him and kill him, um, is not his primary concern. Certainly not at this point. There may come a point when that's an even greater concern later on, but I don't think it'll be even greater, even at that point. Um, even once he's in Mordor, his spirits, his attitude is still going to be the most essential thing. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I, I do think that, um, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it shows us something really important about Gandalf's, not only about Gandalf's focus, but about Frodo's quest. Um, again, the drama is not just we have to find a way to keep him safe and keep him secret. Those two things are definitely on the table here. Um, secrecy for the sake of safety. But it's not exclusively, or I think even primarily, his physical safety that they're concerned about. But as I say, I think that uh, when Gandalf is just trying to cheer him up. I don't know. Do you get a sense that this is a little bit out of character for Gandalf? Like, Gandalf is not normally jolly. I mean, he's fun. He laughs a lot. Um, you know, he is quick to anger and quick to laugh. Um, but he's more likely to be grumpy and and to uh, uh, to kind of give you a hard time than he is just to try to jolly you up. Right. And be like, so let's look on the bright side, friends. Right. Like that's but he's been kind of going there. I don't know. I get the feeling like this is a sort of an awkward, um, an awkward. This is a particularly awkward move of his uh, and this whole and the end of a string of relatively awkward attempts by Gandalf merely to kind of put a positive, um, a positive spin on things. Jackie, that's exactly what I think about this. Gandalf seems like he's almost being disingenuous. Um, yeah, yeah, agreed. I mean, it might be nothing. Yes, it's possible that it's nothing, theoretically, right? And again, he's been doing that. Let me, let's look back for a second. Um, there were other examples here. Um, the Like, there may be many unexpected feasts ahead for you. Um, and then we're certain of one thing at any rate, it will get warmer as we get south. We were talking, it made us talk about Puddleglum that time. Um, uh, and then uh, there was another one earlier on. Um, okay, that's Strider and Sam. Um, yeah. Okay. There's another passage that, of course, he was the one who was talking about uh, the wholesomeness of Holland. Um, but uh, anyhow, okay, sorry. I just wanted to scan back over some recent passages. But I do feel that a lot of his attempts to kind of cheer things up or keep things positive um, have kind of fallen flat, have been a little bit weak and have kind of fallen flat. Um, this doesn't seem to me to be Gandalf's really sort of his natural, his natural idiom, right? Um, and it's interesting in the way in which he seems to be a bit at tension 
with Aragorn here. Aragorn is not trying to conceal. I mean, on the one hand, he's muttering his disagreement with Gandalf, right? He's not just like standing up and, um, you know, like disagreeing with Gandalf to his face or, you know, uh, contradicting him in front of everybody. Um, but Aragorn is not going to, I mean, Aragorn is completely dismissing the idea. Like, no, it could not possibly be a wisp of thin cloud. Apart from the fact that that would be a lame explanation, a lame attempt at an explanation for the phenomenon that just happened. It's physically impossible um, that it's, it's, you know, this fast move, it's moving against the direction and greater than the speed, in any case, of the wind, right? Like, it's, that's not how clouds work, right? Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Aranas, I think that's a good way to say it. Um, Gandalf is normally more don't be ridiculous than it's probably nothing. Yes, I agree. Um, uh, I... Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right, so Arnold and um, Jackie were both struck by the significance of Aragorn muttering. Um, um, yeah. Okay. Oh, well, hang on. Fourth Dauntless, let me address that first. Um, Fourth Dauntless is saying, well, actually, hang on a second. I mean, is Aragorn even right? Because high altitude winds are often different from those at ground level. Um, and that's true. And probably Aragorn has observed that kind of thing before. But I think the... I think there are two things here. Thing number one. Um, how high altitude are we talking here? Um, either he's presuming in his response there, um, like basically his observation of this thing was like, that thing was not, you know, a mile up. That was, that was no wisp of cloud a mile. First of all, a wisp of cloud a mile up is not going to make anybody, you know, notice and shiver. Um, it's just not going to have an impact at ground level if you've got a thin wisp of cloud a mile, you know, way, way up in the sky, right? Um, you know, like two miles up or whatever. Um, uh, I don't think so. Um, I, so. I think that's, I think, clearly silly in the first place. I think Aragorn thinks it was a good deal lower down than that. I think that something, when they felt something going... Um, I think that he is not seeing something up in the stratosphere, but he was saying that it was loaded. I think that's why he brings up the wind. Um, I think the implication of his words is that the wind that they are feeling, the wind at ground level, is the wind that would be relevant to that. It is true that, you know, air currents can be moving in multiple different directions. Um, I remember my uh, family and I went on a hot air balloon ride last time we were out in uh, uh, the Phoenix Valley. And I remember before we took off, our pilot, our hot air balloon pilot, um, you know, did this thing where he let up, he let off a little balloon and he lay on his back on the ground 
watching the progress of the balloon up into the sky, the little little helium balloon up into the sky to see how the winds were moving at like the various different levels that we were going to be going through. And it was, you know, he was pointing out how like, okay, so, you know, about that and about this altitude, the winds are going in that direction about this other altitude, they're going in that direction. Um, so all of those things, um, and that's, that's all certainly true. And again, you can observe this sort of thing, low clouds and high clouds moving in different directions and stuff. And I don't doubt that Aragorn has seen that sort of thing. Um, but I think that his statement seems to me to assert that the that the wind he's talking that he he believes the wind he's talking about to be relevant um that that thing that just flew over was flying over low enough that uh it it would be affected by the wind that he's alluding to here um uh yeah yeah um so Exactly. Dr. Benway completely agree. Aragorn clearly did feel it as well, um, or he wouldn't know it was going against the wind. Yes, he plainly observed that same thing, right? Um, and now you could say, on the one hand, that just as Gandalf is suggesting, oh, maybe it's nothing, right? You know, he's holding out this sort of unrealistically positive theory that it was just a wisp of cloud. It was nothing. Um, you could say Aragorn is guilty of being unnecessarily negative, right? And saying like, well, it's, it was going against the wind. So, you know, if, uh, it, it was, um, you know, I'm going to assume that the wind is the same all the way up or that it was low enough to be affected by this wind. And so therefore, um, even though I can't be sure, I'm going to conclude the negative, you know, the, the, the most alarming thing. Um, I mean, I do think his observation is subject to that kind of a counter argument if you were motivated to make it. Um, but, um, but I don't think so. I think that Aragorn's whole point is he is contradicting the entire wisp of thin cloud idea. Um, that's nonsense. That is certainly not true. Um, it was something. It was something. It was moving fast, and it was moving against the wind. Um, do we know what direction the wind is going? What? Somebody looked back for me. Um, I know we had the we had the east wind. It's coming from the south, isn't it? The last wind we got was when the wind in the morning turned around from the east, which was that really cold, cutting wind uh, that was coming across the mountains. And then it came around from the south, as I recall. Um, and um, so I think that that's still, as far as we know, the, the wind uh, that is still blowing, um, which would mean that the thing moving fast and not with the wind is headed south. Like the genocide of crows was last seen going, yeah, okay, south wind. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Um, you're right, Gildalowin. Not with the wind doesn't necessarily mean directly against the wind. You're right. It doesn't prove that the thing is going south. All it states is that it's not going north, <laughs> right? Um, it's not headed north. Fair enough. Fair enough. We should be more cautious. We should be more cautious. Um, but, um, okay. So, what is it? Well, let's put the obvious possibility on the table, right? Um, that this is a Nazgul. It can't, I think, be 
a winged Nazgul. Like, this can't be one of the fell beasts bearing one of the winged Nazgul, um, because it's too early. They've not crossed the river yet. Um, everybody seems to agree on that, and I don't think... Um, I don't think that that's... I mean, again, you know, one could make an argument that, oh yeah, that's totally what this is, but see, I... The experience that the company has when they encounter a definite and 100% verified um, wing-mounted, you know, Nazgul, aerial Nazgul, uh, later on uh, by the Great River south of uh, Lorien, um, the experience they all have is quite different from this. Right now they're like, did something pass overhead? I'm not sure. Nobody ever says that when a winged Nazgul flies overhead, right? Oh, lots of people don't know what it is. Um, I mean, think of the way that the Rohirrim talk about it um, when we hear reports of the winged Nazgul in Rohan and in, in Edoras, right? Um, uh, so, yeah, definitely, definitely not, that's not this experience. I mean, when, the, when, a, when, a, when a wraith on wings, as uh, Gollum would say, flies overhead... You don't go, ooh, was there a wisp of cloud? I think there might have been, but I'm not sure, right? That's that's not that's not the effect. Um, so, if it's not that, um, you know, so is it, uh, is it, no, I, I, I get, someone was asking um, if it could be like one of the fell beasts alone on a test flight. And I think not for two reasons. First of all, um, it's exactly the lack of a large, monstrous winged creature in the air above them that they're not seeing, right? I mean, Aragorn wouldn't be, it was moving fast and not with the wind. He would be saying, um, only with a thin cloud. Actually, it was a big, bloody, monstrous vulture bird creature, right? Like, I mean, I think he might have spotted it, in fact, uh, if it was. I mean, the fell beasts are not subtle. Uh, so... Uh, it's exactly the lack of an enormous, monstrous winged creature in the sky above them that makes it so perfectly clear that this c- cannot be a winged Nazgul, which again is then is corroborated by uh, the fact that we're told multiple times that they're not supposed to cross the Great River yet. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, okay. Um, yeah, Zephan, I want to, I want to be looking at the in-text theory. I want to, I want to see what this text shows us. We do get an out-of-narrative explanation for this moment later on. Um, but I, I want to see what evidence we can gain from the text. Mostly because this is the kind of thing this the kind of analysis that we're doing right now is it tends to be the way that Tolkien himself comes to uh those other explanations yeah um yeah um okay so i think the evidence to me seems clearly to suggest there is not a corporeal creature in the sky above them. Had there been a corporeal creature of almost any kind, they wouldn't just be saying, you know, Frodo says, did you see anything pass over? 
And the answer is no. And Aragorn doesn't pipe in with, yeah, I saw it. Right? Um, Big, huge, stinking, fell beast creature. Like, no. Um, He doesn't say that. (laughs) Nor winged Balrog, uh, nor anything else of that kind. Nor an eagle, uh, nor anything else. I mean, had there been a corporeal creature, unless there was like a small one, um, you know, maybe, um, maybe if there were like a, 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 a bat with a, a particularly strong, you know, presence, uh, <laughs> that, that could elude their detection. Um, but yeah, I really don't, I really don't think so. Um, and yes, Dennis, uh, on YouTube, you're exactly right that, the other reason that I think it's very clear that this is not a corporeal creature, certainly not an unmounted fell beast, is that not only do they not see a fell beast, they feel something that seems like the presence of the Nazgul. Um, it's, the fell beasts might be scary. They are apparently malodorous, but there's no reason to think that they bring the kind of fear, the kind of, uh, the kind of terror, the sort of spiritual experience um, that the Nazgul do, for instance. Um, so it's, they didn't see anything. He didn't see anything. Gandalf didn't see anything, but they felt it. Um, not, so something not seen, but felt, which of course is exactly what Aragorn tells us about the Nazgul when we're with the hobbits at Weathertop, and he's explaining about the Nazgul. Um, that the, you know they, they wear the cloaks to give shapes to their nothingness. That speech um, that we you, you can't really see them, um, but you can feel their presence, and they feel ours more keenly. Um, and so this apparently invisible thing that none of them spotted, um, he saw or felt a shadow pass over the high stars. Um, yeah. Uh, so, and again, Aragorn does not pipe up with, yeah, I saw it. Um, but apparently he did feel it as well. So something unseen, but definitely felt. So it seems to be a purely spiritual creature, some shadow, which seems, I don't know, more or less, um, more or less literal. So Silk Westcott, great question. Could a non-corporeal Nazgul blot out the stars by pure darkness alone? Um, it doesn't say that he blotted out the stars. He saw or felt a shadow pass over the high stars as if for a moment they faded and then flashed out again. This is, this is tricky. This is one of those really tricky things. It doesn't actually say that it blotted out the stars. It says it was as if for a moment they faded and then flashed out again. Frodo has the impression of the fading out of the stars. He's not sure if he saw anything. Maybe he saw it. Maybe he just felt it. Whether there was an actual diminution of light from the stars or whether he had the impression Right, because of a, a brief and momentary spiritual oppression, right, from the sky that made it seem as if for a moment the stars had faded, but then they flashed out again. It was just it was a very fleeting thing, right? Um but it was as if they had faded and then flashed out again. So again, I don't think that a literal blotting out of the stars has actually happened. 
Um, nor does Gandalf assert that it did. Gandalf didn't see anything. He felt it, but he didn't see it. Um, so I, I don't think I don't think that there is any actual shadow, any literal shadow, any actual darkness. Um, well, uh, other blue wizard Aragorn seems to think it was traveling against the wind. Yes, Aragorn discerned its direction. But I don't think it's impossible for something without physical form. I, I mean, apparently not. I don't, I don't think there's any reason to believe that it's impossible for something without physical form to travel. Indeed, we have many examples of such things. For instance, Sauron coming back from drowned Numenor in spiritual form, for instance. Um, so, um, yeah. Fourth Thomas, if you've got no body, the wind shouldn't affect you. Exactly. Which is why you would be free to move not with the wind. Um, if you were, say, for instance, a cloudy vapor, then yeah, you'd be buffeted about by the wind and you'd be headed in the direct, whatever direction the wind was going. Which is, I think, Aragorn saying that it was moving not with the wind. There's only two, I think, options. It only leaves two options. One... It was a corporeal creature that has the ability to fly against the wind, to propel itself against the wind. Or it's a spiritual creature that doesn't give a crap what the direction the wind is going, which is totally unaffected by the physical wind. Um, and of those two possibilities, I think the latter seems clearly to be the more, again, nobody sees anything. Um, not even Legolas, who's got really good eyes, as we will learn more and more about as we go. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly, yeah. So directionality, Other Blue Wizard says, directionality without corporeality as discerned by whatever senses are perceptive of the incorporeal. Exactly. Whatever it is in them that can sense the presence of, for instance, the Nazgul, um, seems to be perceptive of this thing as well. Um, wouldn't Gandalf recognize one of his own kind? Well, Nance, we got to be careful. we got to be careful there um, because it is one of his own kind and it's not. Um, don't forget that the wizards are incarnate. That's a big deal. Gandalf is not just a spiritual creature. He's a dude. He's a dude with a beating heart and a body that he's stuck with. Um, you know, he probably gets... Uh, you know, athlete's foot and hangnails and, uh, you know, liver spots and as he ages and whatever. Like, he's he's got a physical body. It's not just a manifestation in the material plane of his own will. Um, he was born into a body. Um, this, for my money, is one of the things that I really, really loved about um, the Rings of Power adaptation. I loved the notion. I loved to see them wrestling with what would it look like when a wizard incarnated newly, uh, newly arrived and newly incarnated in a physical body for the first time, what would that be like? Um, with his memories, his relationship with language, his relationship with his body and other people, um, and figuring out how to do things and deal with stuff. I thought that was actually really, really interestingly handled, and I'm looking forward to sort of going through that again. Um, but uh, anyway, um, it is... Uh, it is. So anyway, as I say, I find that very interesting. Um, Gandalf is was a spiritual being. He's not a spiritual being. He's an incarnate being right now. Um, but the soul that is animating his physical body came from a different place. Um, when 
when uh, uh, when a mommy and a daddy love each other very much and make a baby, right? Um, well, it's actually a Louvatar that makes the baby, of course, in the sense of it's a Louvatar that puts together um, a, the physical body and the spiritual essence, right? That takes the Hroa, the physical body, uh, and the Thea, the spiritual being, um, and combines them together. Um, all Thear come from Iluvatar. All spirits come from Iluvatar. Um, the spirit that was incarnated into the body of the wizards, the body was unusual, as I don't think they were born as infants. Um, and the... Um, uh, and the the spirits come from a different source, right? Instead of wherever Iluvatar gets the souls that he puts into, you know, whether he makes them from scratch or whatever, that's a bit of a mystery. But instead of coming from wherever Iluvatar fetches uh, souls from in order to put them into bodies when babies are, are made, um, he puts into the bodies of the wizards the spirits of these Maiar, who cease to be Maiar then at that point in the same way. They're now incarnate creatures. Um, again, I'm saying all this because um, it's... it's uh, People forget about this. People think... I always hear people saying things like, but Gandalf is a Maiar. He would be able to do this, or he'd be able to do that, or he would know this, or he would know that. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily at all. The wizards exist under restrictions. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, okay. Um, yes, good. Uh, Nahor, that's a really good point. Gandalf is not going to recognize the Balrog through the door. Um, right. It's not until he sees it that he recognizes the Balrog. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. Complicated. Anyhow. Um, all the evidence to me seems to point to Nazgul. Right? Because look at also other similarities that we've seen. Other similarities to what we have seen. Um, some somebody said this a while back. I missed it. That is, I missed attributing it. Now I forget who said it. But somebody uh, made the very, very good observation: um, the timing here, the cold, chill hour before the first stir of dawn. This is exactly the hour when the Nazgul move in on the house at Crick Hollow. So if you remember that scene, and we, we look pretty carefully at that scene, remember the Nazgul standing in the garden at Crick Hollow for hours, right? They come into the garden and they stand there, staring at the house, filling the house with fear and oppression, apparently for a quite long time. And then at this hour, the cold chill hour before the first stir of dawn, that's when they move in. Um, and that's... This is exact. So we, it's the setup is exactly the same. He, Caesar feels that shadow pass over the high stars. So there's this, um, we'll come back to the stars. Um, his shivering in response to it. Also, the significance. Um, okay, Trifle and a couple other people were talking about the black shadow um, on Amon Hen 
I really don't see much similarity, Trifle, there. The sentence there that Trifle's quoting, a black shadow seemed to pass like an arm above him. It missed Amonhen and groped out west and faded. There are some similarities there, but of course the... That's a... That's a way of... In Frodo's mind, at least, in which he's kind of... uh, um, Describing the experience of Sauron's actively searching will. Um, and he's comparing it to a black shadow um, that missed Amonhen and groped out west and faded. So the um, the arm and the verb groped, right? The, uh, that, that image um, suggests the, a visual picture of, you know, an arm. Um, but it's not necessarily, um, I, I, it's not necessarily visually realized. Uh, but, and anyway, um, how is this situation different? We don't get a visual metaphor. He's not even sure he sees anything. We have a very brief feeling. The impression that Frodo has on Emon Hen, um, is a much more direct experience of the will of Sauron which he then describes, the narrative describes in this quasi-visual term of this black shadow reaching out and groping around, right? Um, That's the will of Sauron that he was just confronting a minute ago. Um, So, uh, yeah, so it just, it doesn't, it really doesn't strike me as very similar at all. This is a brief flit of sensation out of nowhere. Um, And so, but I suppose, Trifle, let me, let me give it, um, um, and yes, Frodo was atop the hill of seeing. The whole experience that he has there seems rather peculiar to that place in that moment. Um, Sitting on the hill of seeing I think is not the same thing as looking into a uh, uh, a palantir, but it's in the ballpark, you know? Um, there's... You're not in a normal state <laughs> when you're sitting on the seat of Amonhen. Um, but, um, but in any case, I, I, Trifle, I don't want to dismiss it out of hand, though. Um... There are some similarities. I agree. I don't find the similarities themselves very striking, but here's what I will say. I do think it has to be entertained as one possibility. Um, We will see later that the active will of Sauron searching the area, um, by what mechanism, we don't know for sure. Whether it's just the force of his own will that enables him to uh, cross the distance and scrutinize that particular location um, uh, or whether he's using the Palantir or whatever. Um, uh, But, um, oh, you're saying similarities between the Palantir and Amonhen. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think there are definitely similarities there. Um, Anyhow, okay. Um, And yes, Wobe, you're absolutely right. Frodo's wearing the ring on Amonhen as well. I mean, there are two major um, confounding variables there, 
right? The uh, the addition of the ring and the location of Amon-Hen. But again, point is, what else could this be? This could be a Nazgul floating over Hey, what else? What else? Okay, it could be some other random spiritual being that we've never met before, right? Like something in the Barrow White clan, but not tied to a Barrow. You know, some other uh, presumably malevolent spirit just randomly winging around. Um, I suppose so, but like that gives us nothing, right? That's a theory that uh, uh, there's no possibility of even testing that theory, right? So, um, so Almereya, that's exactly what I was building to. Where I want to, where I want to be careful not to be dismissive of Trifle's theory, and again, as said by at least one other person as well, um, that it could be like the experience on Emon Hen. Whether or not the shadow that passes over the high stars for a moment could be essentially the eye of Sauron, the the, the probing will of Sauron, um, which is passing by much more remotely, right? Frodo would not have... Um, Frodo does not, at this moment, have either of the two um, apparatuses, apparati, right? Which... Um, uh, which facilitate the much more direct experience of Sauron's will that he will have on Emin Hen. That is, he has neither, he's not sitting on the seat of seeing and he's not wearing the ring. Um, and so with neither one of those things going for him, um, he has a much more slight, this, I think, so Trifley, tell me if I, if you think I'm making the argument more, your argument, uh, uh, more, a little more fairly here. Um, so given those things, no, no sight, no, um, no hill of seeing, no ring wearing. Uh, he must be just um, having the, but he is, but he is nevertheless fleetingly aware that the will of Sauron has kind of passed over. Um, that um, that is possible. Yeah, Aranas is pointing to the oppressive will of Saruman felt by the three hunters. That feels to me very different. Um, that is, it's not his sort of particular localized searching will that they're feeling. It's uh, uh, a kind of resistance, right? Um, his influence is kind of, I don't know what, dispersed a little bit more uh, uh, more generally there. That feels to me quite different. Um, but, um, yeah. Yeah. And agreed, Trifle Sauron is not aware of Frodo here, um, unlike on Amon Hen, where he is aware and actively looking for him. Yes. Yeah. Again, because no uh, hill of seeing and no, uh, no ring wearing. Um, and I would add huge distance as well. And distance clearly does matter. Um, we're going to be seeing references to that distance matters um, very soon. We'll get more of that later on. Um, so, is it possible that this is like what Frodo is experiencing is a uh, projection, in a sense, uh, some kind of spiritual perception of Sauron's searching will, hunting for them? Um, I, I do think this is a, vi a viable theory. I do. I do think that that's a viable theory. Again, I don't feel. It does not feel to me very similar. When I, when I look at the two passages or think about the two passages, the Amon Hen passage and this passage, um, 
I don't see much in the way of similarity apart from the mere connection of shadow uh, passing in the sky. But again, that's a very slight one. And anyway, whatever. As I say, I don't find much similarity in these two in those two passages, but I do think it's a viable theory. And here's the other thing that I kind of like about that idea. What I like about that idea is that it would seem to give the other half of things, right? That is, um, the Krabine presumably are spies of Saruman, right? Um, Saruman has taken his entire genocide of crows and sent them up into this region, apparently, to search it over very carefully. Maybe he has received a clear and positive report, however that report is delivered uh, from the Krabine, and maybe he's not. But that seems to be a Saruman thing. Possibly it's Sauron's direction, right? But still initiated by Saruman. So this would be... um, uh, This would be a question of do we... Do we think that having gotten spies of Saruman, is this... Sauron's surveillance, right? Are we getting the the surveillance attempts of both of their enemies? One through corporeal means, that is the Krabine, and the other through purely spiritual means. Um, uh, That, I think, is definitely an interesting question. Um, Here's the other thing that I would recall. Um... If I so trifle, if I were briefed to defend this position, you know what I, what I would go back to here. Um, I would go back to the silence in Holland, which was there before the Krabine came. Um, the cause and effect there was never clear. Um. The arrival of all of those crows in the area would certainly have caused the local fauna and especially the local birds to freak out. I have no questions about that. That would be freaky for everybody. Um, but there, the silence happened hours before they even saw the Krabine approaching from a distance. And I was talking about this at the time. I don't think that there's a merely, that there does not seem to me to be a purely natural explanation for that. Or rather, the Krabine do not seem to me to afford a purely natural explanation for the silence that Aragorn draws their attention to. Um, Yeah, so that there is some sort of malevolent will on the area, which is perceived by the wildlife. The wildlife freak out in response to the attention that's there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yes, yes, Holland is exactly where some of the rings were made. And, and Aspen, it's a relevant consideration. Um, I mean, Holland may be wholesome, 
as Gandalf says. But again, this is also unrealistically cheering up. You know, this is the this is a Gandalf of the unrealistic jollification as well. Um, yeah, Holland might be wholesome, but Holland was also where Sauron helped to forge the rings of power. You know, except one. Well, except four, arguably, but still, um, where he helped to forge the rings of power. This is Sauron's old stomping grounds to some extent as well. Um, and let's not forget that at the time, you know, if we're reading the Fellowship of the Ring for the first time, that's all we know about Holland. Um, that, and we've heard about Kilobrimbor and the making. Uh, oh, hang on a second. We might not have, we might not have actually made that connection. Did we make that connection? He calls it a Regian in chapter two. In a Regian, right? Uh, I know it's the beginning of a paragraph, right? In chapter two. Um, he talks about Celebrimbor and a Regian in chapter two. Does he ever use the word Holland? Or does he use the word a Regian in this chapter? And I'm forgetting it. Um, I can't remember where, if we're reading for the first time. Winneregian was its name. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. I thought that that might be the case, but I wasn't 100% sure. Yes. And I know Celebrimbor's name is going to appear on the doors of Durin, called Celebrimbor of Holland, specifically, in Gandalf's translation. Um, but we've not gotten there yet, right? So, yeah, thank you. Good. JJ was just quoting the same thing. Great. Um, Winneregian was its name. So that connection has been explicitly made. So attentive readers who were paying careful attention back in chapter two, when Gandalf was telling the story of the original forging of the Rings of Power, will know exactly one thing. Like, that is the one thing that we as readers have been told about this area that they're in. This is where the Rings of Power were originally forged. Um, and so Gandalf is being all cheerful about it, right? Oh, Holland, great place. Elves were here. Elves are fun. Aren't elves fun? Elves are fun and wholesome. Very wholesome. In fact, let's stay here because of wholesomeness and elves and cheerfulness. tra la la lolly here in Eregion, it's going to be great, right? Um, but of course, we as readers do not have cheerful associations with Eregion and Holland. We have ominous and Sauron-associated connections, that is specifically the forging of the Rings of Power. Um, so, so yeah, um, ominous uh, and associated with Sauron, Sauron's stomping grounds in a sense. Um, one of his, he's stomped on a bunch of grounds by this time, but, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, for Thoughtless, I have no idea. I don't think the power of the one, that is the ring that Frodo's carrying around his neck right now, right, um, would be affected in any way by being there in a Regian. We know the ring's power is affected not only by being in uh, at the Cracks of Doom, um, you know, being at the Semoth Nower, but also by its proximity to the Semoth Nower. There's definitely, uh, I don't know if it's inverse distance squared, but there's definitely an inverse distance relationship of some kind um, with the power of the ring. Um, and um, 
Yeah, so... Um... Yet, Amare, we do know that Sauron came and, and, again, made this literally his stomping grounds. That is, he stomped all over it. But I don't believe in the text so far we've been told much about that. Um, I don't think so. I don't think we know much about the war. We learn about it in the appendices, but I don't think we know much about the war yet. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Right. We we know that it happened. We know there was a war. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Abelard's junk, you're right. Gandalf didn't really talk too much about the whole slaughter and Celebrimbor's corpse thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. We did have a nice long chat about how marching an army over this land apparently doesn't count as much evil must befall a country. That was, that was an insufficient quantity of evil, uh, uh, according to Gandalf's assessment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. Triumphal, I do agree that with what you said a while back. <laughs> I know this is a little bit unsettling when I do this, Trifle, and I'm remembering a thing that you said like 10 minutes ago, uh, and I'm speaking of it as if it's like standing right there in front of me. No. I do agree with what you said before, that um, whatever this is, you were saying whatever this is, this seems like a Sauron threat and not a Saruman threat. And I totally agree with that. Absolutely. I think um, the whole thing with the shadow and the stars, to me... It's just screams Sauron, right? Um, Saruman might have a high opinion of himself, but he's, he has no... Um, um, he has no... Uh, uh, the, the stars don't really acknowledge him uh, <laughs> so much. Um, yeah, yeah. But... Um, Okay. Oh, so from from when the when the wind veers around to the south, I do believe that means it is coming. It's a south wind, so it's coming from the south. It's blowing from the south. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, right. Okay. Um, yes, I agree that Sauron's threat seems generally more metaphysical than Saruman threats. Again, even the whole uh, uh, the whole oppressive will against the, uh, you know, against Aragorn and company. It's not the same. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll get to the weather trifle. We'll get to the weather. We're not quite there yet. All right. So we have therefore two candidates, I think, for what this shadow is that Frodo feels passing over him. Either it's a disembodied Nazgul, which would seem to be a very viable candidate as we do have disembodied Nazgul available, right? I mean, we know the Nazgul were comparatively recently disembodied. Now, the strain of this one is that the disembodied Nazgul would have to have been taking its time, right? Um, the disembodied Nazgul would have to have been lurking in this area for quite some time. Because, yeah, it was definitely a while back that um, the Nazgul were uncloaked. We were told that they would have to return to their master. 
we were not told exactly how long ago that would have been. Um, well, Abelard's drunk, yeah, for something that can move faster than the wind, it doesn't mean they had to make a beeline straight there. I don't know that we have to read that passage. The passage that says that they would have had, that they have to return <clears throat> to their master. They have to return to their master to be recloaked, right? Before they can be anything but an incorporeal spirit flopping around, right? But all we see is an incorporeal spirit flopping around here. So, um, again, I don't think that we have any real warrant from the text to imagine that the Nazgul, as soon as they lose their forms in the Ford, are then like sucked back like magnets uh, to Mordor, necessarily. Um, it could have been stuck under a spiritual boulder this whole time, Aspen. You can't rule that out. Um, you can't rule that out. No, exactly. This, this, this I, again, I, I agree with you, Abelard. This, um, this shadow is, can move fast. But I don't think that that proves or disproves whether it could be, an, and I, that seems to me consistent, potentially, um, with the Nazgul. Um, could it be that um, one or more of the Nazgul did not go directly back to Mordor, but, like, stayed to, uh, yeah, do they have enough of their own will to be able to stall returning to Mordor? I don't know. I don't know. And rowing on the river, I can't help but think of the same thing. That if one of them has been hanging about, um, if one of them has been dragging its incorporeal feet uh, and pushing back the evil day uh, when it gets back to Mordor, right? If one of them, you know, wakes up from being disembodied at the Ford or, you know, sort of uncloaked anyway at the Ford, we talked about that a bit, um, and says... You know, I'm not in a rush. I I think um you know, Eriador is lovely this time of year. Um Sauron's going to be kind of ticked off and he's a hasty fellow. Um I'm not I, I I got nowhere to be. Um maybe I'll I will hang out here and um spy. That's it. I'm I will I will do some productive spying on the enemy in my now conveniently incorporeal form in which I can move faster than the wind and I can fly around and almost nobody will notice me or if they do it'll just feel like a shadow passing over the high stars for just a moment and they'll be like, "Oh no, it was just a wisp of thin cloud, no problem." So, I can I can spy like and then when eventually I get back to Mordor, maybe I'll have something to uh uh, to to um, report, and then maybe you know I'll be in I'll be in less trouble. Um, that's um, that's possible. For thoughtless, I do agree. If any of the nine could hang about like that, it would be the Witch King. Um, that would be my vote. Actually, if this is a Nazgul, that would be my vote, and for that reason, um, you know that he would come back and be like, okay, um, I. Um, I tried to take advantage of the like uh, we things didn't go well, <laughs> right? I have um, I have uh, I guess I've got good news and bad news, you know, to report. Sauron does not necessarily know to look for the fellowship yet. No, and not to look for the company specifically. Uh, he doesn't know about them setting out from Rivendell, but remember them saying, you know, Gandalf, I believe, saying. No, Elrond, one of them, saying in the council um, that already he may know that we have it here. Um, clearly, they believed that 
Some, at least, of the Nazgul would have made it back to Mordor and reported that the ring was brought to Rivendell. Um, and the whole business with the spies was trying to figure out the best route for them to take and to see what lands are being watched. Um, yeah. But, Sapphira, I agree. If the eight Nazgul, if the eight of the Nazgul do go right back to Mordor and report, um, they, um, Sauron would, ar- would already have the story, and the Witch King could stay on the spot, kind of poking around. That is, um, that is possible. That is possible. Um, Frumius Bujum is wondering why not a Nazgul that went back to Mordor and then was sent back out to spy on Saruman's servants. Hmm. Hadn't thought of that. There's got to be a reason he doesn't do that. You know? Like, instead of recloaking them when they get back, why doesn't Sauron just say, hey, well, look, um, Let's make some lemonade here, right? So you got uncloaked, and you guys are incompetent idiots, but hey, invisible flying spies now, right? Hey, no body, no problem. So yeah, get your, you know, get your lazy incorporeal butts back out there and uh, scour the land for me, and then come back faster than the wind and report. That would seem like a good plan. Um, but yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't think, um, I, I, I don't think they can be super useful if they're not properly housed. And yeah, I'm remembering as, uh, Sarah and a couple others are that, um, they couldn't even see the world around them that well. Um, like they were relying on their horses to navigate. So, um, <laughs> Spies that can't actually perceive the world around them are of limited usefulness. Yeah, limited usefulness, you have to admit. Um, Yep, yep, exactly. You do need a reason to want them to fly on a fell beast. Well, still, they would need to be able to interact with with the physical world, other than just giving people the willies briefly, right? Um, uh... Uh, if you want them to accomplish more than the occasional shiver uh, to people, like you want them to be able to do something like, I don't know, seize the hobbit and take him back or whatever. Um, So, yeah, I don't think... um, uh, And yeah, you're right, Fort Thoughtless, that uh, if you want a Nazgul to lead your armies, a voice box might be handy. Um, That's also true, for sure. Um, probably would be a better tactical commander if he could perceive what was going on around him on the battlefield, other than, I sense the presence of many living creatures. Great. Thanks, boss. That's really helpful from a tactical perspective. Um, But, um, yeah. Now, you're right, Trifle, that what we learn about the um, lack of perception of the... uh, I don't want to just call them blind because it seems to be more than that um, about interaction with the world. Um, 
a little bit more thoroughly than that. But um, uh, anyway, um, they can perceive the ring. Yeah, yes and no. Um, yes, but not nearly so much as people think. I mean, let's not forget that we're going to get to a place where Frodo is going to be yards away from the Witch King in Minas Morgul, like near the heart of the Witch King's own place of power. Um, and he's going to sense the presence of the ring, but he's not even going to recognize what it is, much less be able to pinpoint it. Um, so, yes, the ring draws them, uh, as Aragorn says, though he might be kind of wrong about that. We don't know exactly how precise his own lore is about that kind of thing. Um, uh, but, um, but yeah, I... Um, uh, so... But again, even even granting that he is right um, about that, it's it's clearly not as precise as a lot. I mean, I, uh, a lot of readers, some I, I've heard many readers talk as if they assume that Nazgul have a kind of radar for the ring, like they are like a a sort of a one ring Geiger counters built in. Or something like that. Like they can detect its presence and proximity, you know, its direction and proximity. Um, no, the search would have been over much faster if they had that. I think. Um, I think it's pretty clear they don't. Um, but um, yeah, um, right. All lore must have a source, and I agree. Jackie Elrond is certainly the most likely source um, of Aragorn's knowledge about the nature of the ring wraiths. But Jackie, my awkward question would be how does Elrond know? Like you know. Um so a lot of stuff Elrond doesn't know. It's easy to assume Elrond knows everything, but um he would have had some experience in the wars with Angmar, but I don't know. I don't know. Um Yeah. Okay. So um, oh, that's interesting. Wobe says the ring seems to perceive the ring wraiths better than they can perceive the ring. Huh. That's fascinating. I think you might be right. And that's the other thing. Um, uh, that's the other thing that I... Oh, and by the way, it's my issue with Elrond's knowledge there is not just about what does he know about wraiths. He would have had some opportunity to interact with the Nazgul. But what does he know about the ring? The one ring, I mean. Um, especially at that point. When he would have had to, I mean, yeah. Anyway, just saying. Um... Anyway, all right. Um, nobody has studied the One Ring. Nobody knows. I mean, Saruman knows. Thinks he knows. But, um, anyway, okay. At the end of the day, here's my conclusion, and we're running late. But at the end of the day, here's my conclusion. I think the evidence of this passage 
if we just take this passage alone, it sounds like a Nazgul. An, an uncorporeal, an incorporeal Nazgul. An uncloaked Nazgul. Um, the similarities with the Nazgul attack in Crick Hollow, um, the similarity of the timing there, um, the shadow, the conflict with the high stars, which feels Mordor-ish, um, Frodo. The biggest thing, though, is Frodo's reaction. It's Frodo who feels it. Um, and I don't think this is just, well, Frodo is the point-of-view character. It's not always the point-of-view character. Um, and But Frodo's particular sensitivity to it makes me think it might be Nazgul. Um, oh, interesting. Silk Westcott also points out the use of the word um, faded as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Frodo's shiver. Exactly. Frodo's shiver. Um, we don't know that anybody else feels it, and nobody else seems to feel it quite as strongly. Aragorn and Gandalf are both aware of it, but they don't seem to feel it quite as strongly as Frodo felt it. Um, Frodo is going to react to the presence of the Nazgul from now on. Um, and now we don't get any, like, total smoking gun Right, like uh, an ache in his shoulder or something like that. Right, like we don't get um, we don't get any of that exactly, but we um, uh, Frodo's reaction and the fact that it's Frodo and the nature of Frodo's reaction really makes me think that the passage is suggesting to us that this is a a an incorporeal Nazgul that's flying overhead. Um, Well, okay, so Abelard, I don't think the mere pres the mere prox well, no, I don't I don't I don't think the ring works that way. The temptation to put on the ring. I don't think that the um the fact that, that the he does not seem to have to push down a temptation to put on the ring suggests it's not a Nazgul. Um that temptation only comes from the Nazgul once on Weathertop, when the Witch King is turning his will upon Frodo, um, suggesting to him that he put on the ring. But in other cases where he's tempted to put on the ring, I don't believe that that comes from the Nazgul who are not aware that he is there when he is tempted to put on He is tempted to put on the ring in the presence of other Nazgul just because... Uh, like his temptation predates their awareness of his being there. So it's clearly not their will operating on him um, that makes him want to put on the ring. And his desire, to his temptation to put on the ring in those cases is very much like his temptation to put on the ring in other cases when he is in mortal danger, as in the Barrow, for instance. Um, so that, I think, is merely a the ring working on Frodo, like, you know, subjecting Frodo to temptation based on his um, based on his um, his own emotional state like his own sense of his own danger and of course potentially the ring thinking it would be a lovely idea um, with the Nazgul right there um, or his desire to disappear while on the prancing pony sure sure exactly um, 
even in Tom Bombadil's house to some extent, Josh, although he wasn't afraid for his life in the same kind of way. But um, but yeah, we've seen lots of temptations to put on the ring. And only the one time are we told that it was like the Witch King's will that was acting on him and directing him, pushing him in that direction. Um, So I don't think that that correlation, um, that is the correlation between presence of Nazgul and desire to put on the ring is at all clear in that way. Um, Nor are we going to see it in other places. Like, we're not going to see him tempted to put on the ring when the Nazgul comes to the Tower of Kirathungal, when he and Sam are running out um, and jumping into the Briar Patch uh, there in Mordor. So, um, yeah, yeah. So I don't think that that correlation is suggested. Anyway, what I'm saying is, I think just from this passage, the evidence suggests Nazgul, um, discorporated Nazgul flying up above. However, I have to admit, Trifle, in some ways I like your theory better. That is, that this is the will of Sauron spying things out. Um... In some ways. But in some ways I don't. Um, Here's what I don't like about it. If Sauron can do... like, What is the effect of Sauron's will? That is, if Sauron's will to discover them is passing over them right now and doesn't see them, are we saying that Sauron spots them at this time? that from here, um, from now on, Sauron knows just where they are. That's possible. That's possible. Um, that, I think, would work. Um, I don't see any point in doing it if Sauron's eye overlooks them. Like, why would Sauron's eye overlook them? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Zeev wants to know, what is the point of spies then? Well, um, you know, got to cover your bases. Uh, if he can search the land with his will, um, certainly we know he certainly can do that in the Palantir, like with the Palantir, right? Um, so there's no question that Sauron certainly can scrutinize the land from, you know, where he is. Um, it doesn't mean that he will necessarily pinpoint them or spot them. I mean, even if he were to know for a fact where they are, and he might not, um, I mean, again, the, the, he might be guessing that they're traveling in a different way. Um Oh, Sauron has one. I'm talking about Sauron having the Palantir. Sauron totally has the Palantir. Um, Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think we can rule it out. I don't think we can rule it out. Um, Oh, I see what you're saying. They weren't written yet. Yeah, that's certainly true. That's certainly true. Um, But... Nancy, I would say this. Um, The fact that the Palantiri haven't been invented yet doesn't seem to me to rule out the possibility that Sauron... um, doesn't seem to me to rule out the possibility that Sauron's will is acting 
like a Palantir such that when he did invent the Palantiri, he was like, oh, and Sauron should have one, obviously, because this is the kind of thing that he does, right? Or even, Nancy, to go one step further and suggest that if the idea of Tolkien's, of Sauron's will, kind of will and vision sort of rolling, roaming around, was already there in Tolkien's mind, that itself could be one of the things that suggests the concept of the Palantiri to begin with. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, is he expecting a fellowship? Does he assume they would... Remember, everyone's assuming he's going to assume they're going to be heading west, right? They're going to be heading uh, uh, to the Havens to try to take it to Valinor. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Zeev, the... If you know how to use the Palantir, I think it's pretty reliable. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Arden Cran? I don't think so. Arden Cran says, from a dull skeptical st standpoint, viewpoint, it could be that Frodo imagined seeing something, and his question about it put the suggestion into Gandalf's and Aragorn's mind, causing them to imagine they saw or felt something too. It's theoretically possible. Um, I don't believe that, though, for two reasons. Uh, one, because if Frodo had imagined it, I think that the reassurance would have been a good deal more convincing <laughs> than the really lame reassurance that Gandalf actually offers. Um, I mean, that is if Gandalf... Gandalf has no reason. If he did not, in fact, feel anything, he has no reason to go along with it. In fact, we see that Gandalf has every reason to not... I mean, he tries, in fact, to be like, but it's probably nothing, right? Um, so if he didn't actually feel something, he certainly would not have said... I felt it, whatever it was, right? He would have been like, what? No, come on. What are you talking about? Right? I mean, that's his attitude anyway. So he certainly would have been stronger in that direction. Um, I think the no, but I felt it, whatever it was, he is not so determined on jollification that he's going to lie to Frodo and be like, what? Feel something? Nope, nope, not me. Right? He felt it and he admits it. Um, similarly, Aragorn's discernment is pretty specific, right? He not only felt it, he could feel what direction it was moving in um, and its relative speed. So that's uh, a pretty sharp and instantaneous piece of imagining. By This is not like, uh, you know, I have this funny feeling. Oh, now that you mention it, I have a funny feeling too. Like, it's not like that. It's Aragorn has much more information on this thing than Frodo did. Um, so I, I doesn't, I don't, I mean, it's an interesting idea, but it doesn't seem to work. For that. I mean, I, I could see it working in the sense that basically this is a, in, in the end, this is just a passage that tells us something about Frodo's state of mind, right? Um, and what is going on, the sort of the drama of Frodo's own heart and spirits at this time. Um, I think, I mean, like theoretically, I think that that's possible. And I think that that would be kind of interesting. But for the reasons I was saying, I don't, I don't believe that here. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, yep. Yes. Um, I do also 
I don't see any reason to believe from this passage alone um, that whatever it was that was passing over them spotted them or was paying special attention to them. It just passed overhead, moving fast and in a random direction that was certainly not north, right? Um, That's what we know about it. Um, If it had been the will of Sauron that had that had spied them, you'd think it might have stuck about a little bit longer, right? Um, If it were a Nazgul that were actively spying on them and watching them in so much as it could watch them, you'd think it would be um, like hovering or something like that, but it's not. It's just passing by. Um, It seems to be a little bit more chance encounter-ish than that. All right. Um... I'm way over time, however. I know I started late tonight and then talked about fundraising stuff, and I've been looking forward to talking about this passage for a long time, but I must let you go because it is super, super late. Uh, my apologies for that. Um, we will... Uh, maybe we'll come back and, and uh, uh, see if we can draw some final conclusions here next time. Um, and I'm going to do my second giveaway here, too. So we're still going to do at least a little bit of field trip here today. Um, but uh, let's... Um, Let's get together and we'll start that up and we'll do our second giveaway, our Lotro giveaway here uh, in Lotro. Good night, folks. Um, you can stick around for the giveaway if uh, you are... Do- and I'm going to crash again, aren't I? Betcha. Yep. That keeps happening when I switch back from... when I resize my screen. Maybe I should stop doing that. Anyway... Hang on a second. I will come right back into the game, and then we will be back in action here. Okay. All right. Um, anyway, yes. Uh, so good night, folks who have to leave. Understand if you have to leave. Uh, let's uh, let's continue. Let's do let's do our other giveaway. So let me tell you about the um, those of you who watched Lotro streamers may have heard this is the same. Uh, gift pack from Standing Stone that um, several others have been giving away recently. Um, it's sort of in celebration of the new expansion um, Before the Shadow that's coming out, um, and it's basically a catch-up pack. So it's got like all of the expansions and everything. Um, so if you're st- if you're starting Lotro new uh, and you want to you want to jump in, this is a really really valuable pack because it contains uh, multiple expansions: the Mordor expansion, Minas Morgul. Gundbad um, are all included uh, in this code uh, that I can give away to you. And for current folks, um, there's a bunch of valuable stuff in it too. You'll get a, a crafting carry-all, XB boosts, Slayer Deed boosts, reputations uh, stuff, crafting boost, all kinds of stuff. Um, so this is... Uh, uh, and, a, and a Steed, Steed of Bree as well. Uh, all kinds of goodies uh, in this uh, pack. And I can give away. I can give away two of them. I can give away two of them. So I will. So I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna roll my dice again. Oh, of course, without my tower, I lost one of my dice. There we go. Yeah. Okay. I think that All right. But I'm gonna do that thing where I'm gonna stick with what it landed on in the floor. Okay. Let's see. I'm counting. (laughs) 
Okay. Um, Praise is the winner of our first bonus pack. It wasn't Trifle again. It wasn't Trifle again. It was Praise this time. Uh, very cool. So I'm going uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna to do another one. We're going to do two. And I kept it from falling off this time. Okay, that's good. Next time I'll have my dice tower with me. And Bruinier, Bruinier is the is the second one. So praise, yeah. See, now, now is the perfect time to try Lotro. You will have all this. It also comes, by the way, with the riding skill, which, like, trust me, that's really handy when you're starting. Um, so Bruinier and Praise are our two winners. So again, just send an email to info at signumu.org, um, and you can and we will get you your code. Um, what you'll do is you'll go to the Lotro store. Which is this button down here? So you 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 just install Lotro, which is free to download and install. Um, and then when you get in, you can go into the Lotro store and you can re you'll redeem the code there, and it'll it'll put everything in there. Um, yeah, awesome, very cool. Congratulations, everybody. Um, Valori, good evening. Sorry, I am delayed here. Yeah, it's understandable. Yeah. In that I've I've known you this long. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. Uh, so we're heading out to Wistmead again, just to see the last of it, I guess. And uh, Wistmead, yes. Left. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, okay. So that means we need to go to, um, we need to get to the party tree, right? Yep, party tree. So, um, yeah, I can do a port to nickel delving. Okay. Cool. That'll be good. To hop into the party tree and then click on the creepy horse. Oh, wait, hang on. I don't think you took me with you. Huh. Weird. I didn't get the prompt. It's okay. I can. I should be able to get there from West Bree, right? Oh, so, oh, someone ported me at the same time I was doing this. Oh, I see. <laughs> no worries. And they picked a better spot. Oh, cool. Okay. So we can go to Mickle Delving. I can, I can get to Mickle Delving from West Bree, right? Am I remembering that correctly? West Bree? Uh, yeah, yeah, you can take a I think so. to West Bree. Yeah. You can also go straight to the party tree from any housing thing, just FYI. Okay. Oh, yeah, I forgot housing's faster now. Didn't used to be the way. I've got a stack of 46 rally horns. <laughs> Trying to go through oh, housing is certainly not going to be faster for me. Okay. Mickledale. Okay. All right. And Eric Horn is a grumble guts, though, isn't he? You know, it's interesting. Like, both. Um, Oh man, now I've got to. What do I have to get? Ride to Hobbiton from here? Yeah, Hobbiton. Oh, good. There's a swift horse to Hobbiton now. It didn't used to be, yeah. did there? Nope. Uh, nope. It was all slow horses before the update, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the right. When they added Yandershire. Yeah, nice. But, Great. Like, we appreciate the swift horse to Hobbiton. Yeah, it's just with both Gandalf and Aragorn, like you realize, like all of these passages of them, you know, Aragorn going, nah, it's, a, it's not cloud, it's not a cloud sort of thing. Like, this was the origin of the grumpy mentor figure in a lot of modern <laughs> media. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, Gandalf's grumpiness is um, extremely influential, as you say. Mm-hmm. Well, even Aragorn, too. We got more, the more serious. We got the grumpy old man, and then there was always the grumpy middle-aged man. Right. Well, that was, that, was, that was like, those were the two tropes. Right. Okay, I'm seeing the fireworks here. I'm almost there. Mm-hmm. Well, wasn't it the bit that um, rangers were grim sort of fellows? Grim. Grim is That's, the word. I mean, we, and the thing is, it's just like it's just like when Aragorn tries to crack a joke and it just falls utterly flat. Like, we're getting the same thing with Gandalf and his fake cheeriness. Like, nobody's fooled. Yeah, I agree. Go over to Bingo. He's okay. Bingo. Right here we are. Over to Bingo. Forget. Uh, I forgot which where Bingo was. Okay. I'll light. The, I'll light the beacons here. All right. Here's Bingo. There oh wait, it's Back it's no not actually at Bingo. I just got to go up to the horse. Correct. Right on. Yeah. Okay. Right. The spooky pony. I'm remembering the spooky pony. Okay. You have a fun Halloween. I did. I did. I uh <laughs> cut it's funny, you know, kids are so funny. You know, my uh older son when he was in ninth grade was like, I'm done trick or treating, I'm like way too mature for trick or treating now. Um yeah. so my wife asked my younger son Matthias, who's in ninth grade now, you know, like so do you you know, she very tentatively asked him without, you know, hoping not to insult him, you know, did you want to go trick or treating this year? Or are you are you done with trick or treating this year? And he looked offended. He was like, What? Done with trick or treating? Are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> so it's I, like I don't I feel bad for the teenagers. They missed two prime years for trick or treating. Yeah. Exactly. So, There's still makeup I, to be done. Yeah, I saw a bunch of eighteen year olds running around and one of them just had an apron that said Star Wars on it. But like, okay. At the same time, I'm just like, you go, sir. You go. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, it was funny. So, I, I, I drove my son uh, to where he was meeting some friends for trick or treating. And uh, they were all, they were all four of them dressed up as different obscure characters from four separate animes, basically. <laughs> yeah. Mine, dressed, uh, mine and their friends dressed up as uh, the cast of Metalocalypse. So. Yeah, they weren't coordinated. They were all there was like a there was well, like this a was three years in the making. And yeah, one still came as Kenny from South Park. Yeah, yeah. No, my um, yeah, the my, my son was an obscure character from Attack on Titan. My f- son's friend was an obscure character from Demon Slayer. My you know it's all, and then the other two I didn't even I didn't even know the animes, but um, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so we had gotten as far as the graveyard, which we spent a lot of time on, and the rundown house, which was interesting. So, so, and what we were what we were noticing the the trend with both of them was that this was the scary other in both cases. That both of them seemed to be there seemed to be human graveyard and human like spooky haunted house, right? Exactly. Um. And here we have the non-spooky um, buffet, yep. right? Yeah, these are the spider pies here, where it's just full of blackberries, so it kind of looks like spiders. Ooh. Yeah, that's actually a quest. That's actually part of it. 
But like apparently the the Hobbit folk, these if there's some things even they won't eat. Right. Okay. All right. So we have an actual. We have a maze over here. Uh yeah, corn maze. Is it like a legit maze? Uh yeah, there's it will be one of four mazes. Which oh, I see. Yeah, I don't know that I want to. All the other mazes I managed to learn. This one, no hope. Okay, we're starting late enough that I don't think I want to get enmeshed in an actual maze that it's going to port me to. Yeah, um, oh, that reminds me of a pretty awful Red Fair experience I once I had. <laughs> you can come right back out of the maze from the front door if you wanted to. Well, I might go in and see it then later on, but let's see if we can first... I'm going to dismount. There's no real need to ride around here, right? Um, really okay, well, over here we have another wrecked building, right? Which is, looks yeah, immediately... Yeah, this is the, the Scary Acres sign. Okay. Or, no, was it? I thought this is where it was. What is it this? Is... A random, oh, a random no. bookcase lying on its side? Sorry, I think it looks like a shop, maybe. Does kind of look like shelving here. Yeah. But once again, the old and weathered timbers are clearly from a non-Hobbit construction. This looks like a relatively simple homestead, right? We've got stone foundation, wooden timbers. The remains of a wall and what looks like some larger cross beams from the roof lying down among them. But um, definitely, I mean, thinking historically, this has got to be from some time substantially more recent than the, you know, the Arthodinian period that we were looking at, the, the you know, the Arnorian stuff here. Yep. Oh, cool. You could see, like, the Ipsbutel carvings all over them. <laughs> Well, you can see what? You can see kind of like beetle carving in the wood. Oh, no, that's grass, but it looks like beetle carving. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It does kind of... We have a lot of just, The grass just makes it look spookier. Yeah. Um, do you think he planted all the briars around to... Well, actually, this... Well, like, none of these ruins are manufactured. These are all existing ruins. That right. No, the ruins seem legit. Yeah. Um... I'm not sure about planted briars. They generally don't need an excuse to grow anywhere in memory serves. Once again, like the idea of a haunted house would be very appealing to a lazy hobbit. It's like I don't have to clear any of this out. Right, right. Where where are we geographically again? Uh we are I'm trying to remember the story. I think there were it's part of the Shire because they were trapped during the long winter. Oh, we can't go down this road yeah. into the... I think they made some mentions of the wolves, which would have meant they were near the river, because that was the one where the river froze over. Right, or the north farthing. So, yeah, yeah I, I get the feeling it's around the north area, which would explain the, the human influence in here as well. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, it's true that we do see, as Rowan is reminding us, some larger outbuildings, barns and such like, at places like Bam Furlong. Um, though I would point out that's in the Marish where you can't dig and everybody has to have built up houses. And that does not seem to be the case here. This isn't marshy ground. But yeah, still. Yeah, I'd say this it's, is close to like Evendon or something. Yeah, it's theoretically it's theoretically possible. And I don't think, right, that um um Yeah, we're, we don't appear on the map, so can't really say yeah. where we are. Parasite universe. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so we'd come closer to finishing exploring. I thought that we could go up the road there. Right. Uh, Trifle really says, "Go up the road if we have the quest, unfortunately. Otherwise, gotcha. the mist just takes you back to the front of town. It's okay. part of the curtain. Okay. Um, well, then maybe we should check out the inside of the corn maze. I want to see what it's like inside. All right. What kind of decorations we have? Well, uh, so." <laughs> Don't expect we have, too much as far as decorations. It's a proper corn maze. It's a proper corn maze, yeah. We have, uh, speaking of proper, we have uh, Scary Scarecrow out here. Oh, uh, yeah. Which is interesting. Pumpkinhead Scarecrow. And yes, it's not a corn maze. It does look like a wheat maze, right? Uh, oh, yeah, I guess it is a wheat maze. <laughs> Sorry, my Virginia brain is just substituted corn without even thinking. Right. Right. Okay. So this must be a pretty boring holiday for elves. Halloween? Yeah. Or just any sort of, you know, day where the dead spirits come back. They're just kind of like, that's, that sounds like a you problem. You know? <laughs> it sounds like a you problem. Yeah, perhaps. Well, the, they... You know, the elves know what happened to them when they die. There's no great mystery there. Right. And, uh, I mean, it's true that Legolas does, you know, deem the uh, spirits of men to be, you know, pale. And what was, what's, what are his adjectives? Something as I deem them weak and frail as I deemed them or something like that. I forget the words something that he like uses. That, yeah. Um, But yeah, that sting of mortality is just not really there. Yeah. <laughs> not 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 to these third ages anyway. Right. Right. Yep. Um Oh man, I am bad at this. It's just there's no visual markers. Like it's so confusing. Yeah. It's by design. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. You guys you guys knew about us, you know, nine years <laughs> nuppers who had, like, completely memorized the spring maze and the haunted burrow and said... Well, this maze has five different variants, depending on which day of the week it oh, is. five. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was four, but yeah, five. Sounds good. And there's a couple places where you can go through the rows, but you have to kind of know where to look. Yeah. Look for something drawn on an animation cell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cool. But yeah, as we observed last week, though, like the the, the, the human dead were promptly on display for thrills and chills. And, mm -hmm. But uh, we still have no clue how the typical Hobbit is buried. Like, there's no big no site. right. What Hobbit or graves people. look like? Yes, exactly. No. I like uh, how they I, import crows here sitting around. They've imported the pumpkins, but... So our job is to chase the crows off. They're not supposed to be here. Okay. But, uh, wow, they must have had a good harvest to say, let's mow half of it and keep the other half up. Because this is some pretty good-looking wheat here. Yeah, I... It stays up too long. I like the wheat maze. Um, uh... Yeah. Oh, and you're right, Trifle. Corn. It is technically a corn maze uh, in the sense that it's grain 
and oh, corn like, really is a very generic word. Yeah, okay. Yeah, whereas in America we tend to have maze mazes, right? Oh, I found oh. The, the secret. Came one. back to the entrance. Well, okay. Still cats. Good enough. <laughs> it's 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 not uh, it's not the middle, but I found the beginning. There we go. That's something. Yeah. Hey, you like? Or uh, wait, is this the? This is. Just, no, we found the exit. That's the exit. We found the exit. That was the exit. Yeah, we found it. We did it. Look at that. Hey, look at that. We get rewarded by an extra haunted lane here to explore. Yep. Full of plants. Is that, which way is back to town? Oof. Either, either one. Way. Either yeah, one. Either okay. way. So this is just the perimeter around the edge of the yeah, that, maze. That was actually a little claustrophobic with how tall the hedges were. Yeah. They need to do a snowy one like in The Shining. That'd be fun. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was uh, just interested to see if there are any other decorations that would give us sort of any hints, any any more ideas into yeah, the, the way that they were describing. That they decorate with funny faces and bat wings, so they look like goblins. Yes. Kind of self-explanatory. Yeah, but that's interesting. I like that. I like that. Okay. Well, it's very late, and we made it through the corn maze. So how about that? Yeah. There we go. All right. Cool. Well, next week, right? Next week we get the expansion. Yep. Correct. All right. So, if I may make a suggestion. Yep. The gated Andras. Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. We'll start at Bree. We'll just ride out from the lower hall and head south. Yes, I've wanted to get there forever. I've broken Exactly. Oh, man. Fulfilling a decade-long dream. And a couple of days wasted trying. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, man, I agree. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how I could get around that, but uh, it there didn't work. There is a way to get around well, not around the gate but there was a way to get up to uh, a little camp above the hill but once you get through the gate it's easy to get there now mm -hmm. will be. Mm -hmm. cool all right yeah so that's what we will do next time we will we will do we will fulfill the the, the long long dream of heading south straight from Bree along the greenway um, we'll go out to the intersection uh, of the uh, of the east-west road and the Greenway and head south next time. Um, that will be great, great fun. Thanks, everybody. Sorry for the, uh, the long, extra long session tonight. Um, but I will see you guys again next week. Uh, I have almost all of my normal broadcast again this week. We have uh, um, uh, Alice's Adventures in Mythgard Academy happening tomorrow night. Other Minds and Hands and Film Film both happening on Thursday. Um, other Minds and Hands at its normal time in the afternoon at 4.30, and then um, Film Film at 10 p.m. at night. But no Grifflet this weekend because I'm headed to California for SoCal Mood. So see you Saturday, Praise. Looking forward to it. Right. Bye, everybody. Good night. Bye. Happy Dia de los Muertos. Absolutely.